Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. I'm sober 37 years. Woohoo! Through the grace of God and the support and connection of my sober community and family, I haven't taken a drink or a mood altering chemical to get high since February 3rd, 1985. And for that, I am truly grateful. I tried my first cigarette when I was 12 and had my first beer at 13. I tried pot when I was 14, and that quickly became a habit. This was all happening in my ninth grade school year. And I often say that this was the only year that drinking and drugging really worked for me. In fact, I got almost straight A's in school that year. I was the lead in the school play called MASH. I played the flute in the school band, and I was in the special singing choir called Say Jets, and I did a solo. I was pretty, you know, somewhat popular at school, and I fell also deeply, madly in love for the first time. And it ended like badly. My heart was crushed, truly broken. Indeed, it was. And that summer that I turned 15, my life started going downhill. I began harder drugs. I took more pills, uppers, downers. It didn't matter. And I drank pretty much every day, mostly beer. The only mixed drink that I liked was rum and Coke. And by the time I was 15, I was a daily drinker and a full-time smoker. My self-esteem went way down. Like I didn't take care of myself. I rarely wore shoes. I hated authority figures. And I got really sick with mono. So sick that I couldn't go to the James Taylor concert that I would have given my left arm for. Yep. It was very painful that whole, that whole time in my life. I remember. And then my dog died. It's true. It was, it was very bad. It went much farther downhill. Actually from there, I was raped. I had a lot of anxiety after that. And I had to start high school and I was scared shitless. I skipped the first day of school and I ended up skipping actually about 62 days of school that year. So much so that in my junior year, I spent the whole first week in detention, making up for all the detentions that I had missed the previous year. I'm telling you my story because I don't want to ever forget what it was like for me. And sometimes my mind plays tricks on me. It says things like, no one can really relate to you because you've been sober for so long. (laughs) It's true. I think that sometimes. In fact, sometimes my mind will tell me that maybe I wasn't really an alcoholic because how could I stay sober this long? But I know about my crafty little brain and I can teach it all kinds of new things, but I can't change the fact that I drank alcoholically and I took a lot of drugs between the ages of 14 and 24, which was when I got sober. So it helps me 
to remind myself about where I came from. And maybe something I say can help you too. But I survived a lot when I was out there using. And I want to celebrate my sobriety each year so I can continue on my journey of recovery and be an example that we do recover. So back to my story. Don't worry, I won't drag on too long. (laughs) But I did barely graduate high school. And I was so happy now, now that I had the freedom of an adult, right? I thought that once I turned 18, everything would be awesome because now I could drink legally. I could start drinking in the bars. Well, that freedom was pretty short-lived because I didn't have the money to support my bad habits of drinking in the bars. So my solution, get a full-time job and a part-time job in a bar so that I could drink for free. (laughs) That is not freedom, my friends. But I did develop a strong work ethic. I was always working and I loved getting those paychecks, but I lived paycheck to paycheck and I continued to create havoc, not just, you know, in the bars and my jobs and, but also in my relationships. And I truly had no idea who I was or what I wanted. So I jumped from guy to guy and I had a few long-term relationships, but I never was alone for any length of time. I didn't feel really okay unless I had a man in my life. And you know what else? I compared myself to others and I always felt less than, you know, but that comparing, it helped spur me on to the next thing. And I did, I kept on going and trying to grow. So at one point, I remember comparing my life to some, I don't know, jet set traveler. And I thought, oh, I know, I'll just move out of Connecticut. So I moved to Texas, just try to start anew. We do call this kind of like a geographical cure, right? Um, But it did work in a way because I did get sober, but not right away. I had to take a second geographical move before I got it. But I did move to Texas. I moved to San Antonio and I got a job as a in a bank as a teller. And I loved it. I felt so important and responsible. And I was dressing up every day and I got a part-time job in a bar called Daddy's at night. So you could see that I wasn't really telling the universe I was ready yet. I was still playing all my games in the bars at night. And I always managed to have a boyfriend, right? Until they got burnt out on me. And then I just get another one. But I worked my way up to be more, you know, get more and more responsible positions in my work until I found myself, I was a manager at a wholesale picture frame supply company. And I had just moved from San Antonio to Austin and broken up with my boyfriend too. Like, well, we were working together in San Antonio. He was the manager. I was the customer service manager. (laughs) I don't recommend that. And they sent us both to Austin. But then they asked him to run the Phoenix branch, which made me the manager of the Austin branch. Well, and I'm sure he couldn't wait to go. It wasn't even a discussion. He just packed up and left. Oh, I was so insecure, inexperienced. Now I didn't have any friends. I was trying to prove myself to the six men that worked for me that I was just frazzled all the time. I didn't know what the F I was doing because I I just didn't know anyone in Austin yet either. So I began to drink alone. And when I couldn't stand it anymore, I drive down to San Antonio on the weekends to drink with friends. 
And so that started a series of very bad drunk episodes. I had blackouts. I got pulled over by police. I had a stalker. I had death threat. I woke up in the wrong place. I couldn't find my car. I mean, things were really escalating when I finally admitted that I might have a problem with alcohol. (laughs) So I had tried to quit, but it didn't stick until I started going to AA and I heard their stories and they told me not to compare, but to relate. So I did. I you know, stopped comparing that, oh, well, this never happened to me or that never happened to me. Actually, I didn't experience what a lot of some others had gone through, but oh, all of my feelings were the same, right? I had the guilt and the shame about who I was, and it was very painful. I didn't like myself at all. In fact, I loathed myself because I was not living up to who I knew I could be. And there was very shameful behavior of what I was doing when I was out there, which is why I created all that chaos. But I didn't know it at the time. I just felt like a victim. I felt like a failure. I felt bad, really bad all the time. And if I was going to follow the suggestions, then I knew I had to change everything about my life. I think in this respect, I had it easier than some others because I did not have a lot of friends in Austin, right? Nor did I have a part-time job in a bar. I also knew that the pressure I was under to work on myself and be a manager, you know, like at that business was not a good fit. So I quit and I got a job in accounting at Golden Fried Chicken Corporation of America And I got a part-time job delivering pizzas at Domino's, which was really good for helping me learn to say no thanks to the shots and the the, the joints that I was offered when I was delivering pizzas. Um, But it made me a lot stronger. And I still had the same amount of money, but I was not spending money like I used to, right? And I went to meetings every, or sometimes two, uh, every day. And that's where I made friends. And I immersed myself in the program. I found a new boyfriend on day six of sobriety. (laughs) It's just so funny when I think back of it. Oh my goodness. I could just really cringe when I think about how vulnerable and what an easy target I was for this guy, Doug, who had two years sober at the time. I thought, oh my God, that is so long. How could anybody stay sober that long? Oh, but I also thought, what? Give up booze, drugs, and men? What are you kidding? What a joke. I was not going to do that. But you know what? I was begging God to take him out of my life just as much as I was asking for the desire to drink to be removed. Please remove him and the desire to drink. And actually, when we broke up at about 90 days sober, I was just at about step four and five at that time. And I, um, did have the desire to drink that left me. But I also feel like I fixed it by buying a new car. (laughs) Just kidding. But didn't, didn't, I was always looking for that gratification outside of myself. So I thought, well, buying a new car, it will make me feel good about myself. And because I don't have this boyfriend anymore. And I know now that I really need to stay out of relationships because I am not attracting the healthiest of people. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, this continued for a few years, you know, looking for that gratification outside of myself. But I also did look within and I started to work on my self-esteem. I worked those steps and I got a sponsor and I joined a group therapy program and it was great. I cried so much in that first year of recovery. Uh, and I constantly had that old motto drilled into me. Don't compare myself with others. Stop comparing. And do you know that 37 years later, I'm still doing it? Yeah. I don't know if it's really a character defect as much as ju it's just part of the human experience. I think that we do compare ourselves to others just because it's a human thing and we all have an ego. Like I'm human and I do have to remind myself not to compare myself to others. And I want you to remember this too. Now, I remember when I was 10 months sober, I wanted 10 years. Right? And I laughed when I finally got 10 years and I realized I still wasn't where I wanted to be. So I continued to grow. And you know what? I haven't really stopped. I'm still growing at 37 years sober. I've compared my body to others. I've compared my relationship, my financial success, my emotional state, my educational degrees, and the number of followers that I have on social media, just to name a few. Like we, it's natural and sort of normal to do it, but you know, we have to learn from it. So what have I learned? I've learned that when I compare, it normally makes me just feel bad. Sometimes it will set off desires within me that, you know, like to have more, you know, that I will then work for something more, you know, it's an idea that it sets off in me mostly, but mostly it just makes me feel like I'm not enough, but I am enough. I do enough and I have enough. These are the chants now that I, I say when these thoughts come up, but that cunning and baffling ego part of my brain, it always wants me to have more, or it wants me to be less. <laughs> Those are the fears that sometimes come in. And the years of comparing has taught me that it's okay to want, it's okay to want more and it's okay to be human. And you know what else? It's okay to celebrate my achievements and it really helps me to get over that comparing syndrome when I celebrate my differences, right? When you become an entrepreneur, there's many exercises that you go through to figure out the exact type of business that you want and who you're going to help. And my coaches never stopped asking me, what makes you different? So I had to write all that stuff down and I did. And it really helped me a lot with the whole comparing thing. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about what makes me different because I want you to make your own list. Well, I'm sober for one, like I'm proud of it. Sober for not just one, I'm sober as number one. That's the number one thing. I wouldn't have anything if I didn't have my sobriety. I know that for a fact, right? I'd probably be dead. I'm pretty sure I would not have lived past 40 years old. So I encourage you to write down what makes you unique, your experiences combined with your skills and your values makes you an incredibly unique miracle in the world. So here's a few other things that make me different. I train people in recovery to step into leadership and I train leaders how to step into personal growth. I ride a motorcycle 
I also ride on the back of a motorcycle sometimes when we tour. I'm a mother of one. I'm a stepmother of one. And I have five grandchildren whom I just adore. I've got my undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's in education with a focus on training and performance improvement. I'm a course creator of recovery at work, and I'm a coach. I'm an author of the book, Emerge, Seven Steps to Transformation, No Matter What Life Throws at You. I'm also a wife to Paul for 34 years now. I can tell you, really, I truly love my life. I feel my feelings, and I can honestly say I have no resentments or issues with anyone in my life. I haven't smoked cigarettes in 35 years. It's true. (laughs) 35. And did I mention that I'm incredibly abundant? I could go on, but I'm giving you a sample of the list that you can create for yourself. And when you find yourself comparing yourself to others, it's okay. That means you're human. But if you're focusing on it overly much, get your list out or just remind yourself of what makes you unique and special. You are a miracle and can create anything you want now that you've been given a second chance. Focus on what you want. Make a list. When you are happy, everyone around you is going to be happier. (laughs) That's how I, I sort of see that ripple effect. So continue to be grateful for all that's been given to you life lessons included, even the tough ones. And if you want help making those dreams come through, I can show you how. I've been working with Laura for nine months now, and she took my recovery at work program with me as her coach. And she called me up early in December, so excited to tell me that she just received a a $12,500 increase in salary and a $15,000 bonus. Now she's been working there for eight years. And the only difference this year was the fact that she was working with me and did the deep work on herself to make lasting changes. She has stepped into her full potential and is flying high at work, making a difference and adding value to that business. I had another client who I started working with in February of 2021. And within five months, he had landed a new job in a new company with a two grade level promotion and a jump in salary of 135K. That's an increase, my friends, right? $135,000 increase in salary. (laughs) There is no limit to what you're capable of when you stay sober and get focused on rising to your potential. First, you develop yourself and then develop others. It's just works, right? It's how we uplift and help others along the way that makes the world a better place. Please visit me at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com and take the quiz to find out what your leadership style is at work. I'm so grateful that you're tuning into this podcast. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply fill out the guest application, which you'll find on the website, on the podcast page. So that's emergeleadershipacademy.com slash podcast. 
Until next week, my friends, stay happy, healthy, working on yourself and helping others because your contribution matters.